Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod some of the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. And And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Happy New Year, everyone. The Lord be with you. Lord Lord bless bless you. you. Thank you. Welcome. Um, I know starting the new year on Zoom is a bit of a letdown, um, but I want you to know that we've had now seven unrelated positive COVID cases within our congregation that have been reported to session over the last two weeks. And it seems like we will uh, likely hear uh, more. Uh, Per our current protocol, um, we will remain on Zoom uh, next Sunday as well, but we, of course, will continue to monitor and reassess the situation uh, and our protocol as well um, to see how we want to proceed in the coming weeks. And so, again, I just ask for your uh, understanding uh, and prayers. Um, I know it's been a while since we've been on Zoom. Uh, For me, it's actually kind of nice to see uh, everyone. Uh, on Zoom, uh, people I haven't seen in a, in a while. And I know that it's a bit late uh, today, but I ask all of you who have your video uh, feeds off uh, to please turn them on. Um, you know, I know sometimes you think it's kind of like uh, the, I don't know, um, on Zoom, it's okay to be in your pajamas and not have your Zoom on uh, for your work meetings or school. Uh, but I want to encourage you as this is worship, uh, that you prepare for worship as you would if you were coming uh, in person. And so I would ask that you not only see us, but be seen. And so I would ask that you would turn on your video feed um, the next time we gather uh, like this. Uh, please pray with me. Great and gracious God, we come today into your presence as we enter into a new year. Many of us are just weary from this prolonged season of pandemic And we look forward, God, to a time when it will no longer dominate our lives. In the meanwhile, we ask that as your people, we would continue to model your loving kindness in these divisive times. And that our lives together will increase your glory. Now in the hearing of your word, 
increase our love for you so that we may more humbly and joyfully serve you and the world. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I suspect that for most of you, if not all of us, the story of the wise man conjures up images like this. Three wise men riding camels through the desert night, following a star, as in the Christmas carol, we three kings of Orient are, following yonder star. Then, once they get to Bethlehem, they gather around the manger with the barnyard animals and the shepherds and the holy family. Typically, in Christmas pageants and church skits, the visit from the shepherds found in Luke's gospel and the visit from the Magi from Matthew's gospel are conflated to form one crowded nativity scene. I suppose there's nothing wrong with holding these images in our minds, but I think that the story that we heard this morning is far more interesting. So let's take a closer look. We are told that the wise men came from the East. Wise men, in my opinion, is a poor translation of the word that Matthew uses, which is magi. Magi is a word that we sometimes hear in reference to this story. It's one of those words that we should probably just leave untranslated. Magi is the plural of magus, and it's where the word magic and mage in English come from. But as interesting as a story might be with magicians, the magi were not magicians, sorcerers, or wizards. This is not a visit by Harry Houdini, Harry Potter, and a Harry Gandalf. Nor were the Magi three kings. Nor were the Magi necessarily wise. The term Magi refers to the priests of an ancient Persian religion, one of the oldest in the history of the world, known as Zoroastrianism. They were well-known and well-regarded for their astronomical and astrological observations. In addition, the 5th century BCE Greek historian Herodotus says that the Magi were known for interpreting dreams. While astrology and dream interpretation might be held suspect by us, at the time, they were considered legitimate forms of knowledge and offered insight into the world, hence their reputation for being wise. One night, apparently, a group noticed a star rising and somehow connected it to the birth of the king of the Jews. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Over the centuries, there's been a lot of speculation about what it was that they saw. Some have tried to identify the star to known astronomical phenomena, such as Halley's Comet or another comet, or a conjunction between several planets which would appear like a bright star. Others, however, dismiss the idea of an astronomical event and argue that it was an angel or some other spiritual light given to the Magi to lead them. Whatever it was, the Magi saw it as a sign and it was compelling enough that they followed it all the way to Jerusalem. Now what's remarkable is not that foreign scientist priests recognized a star as a sign that a king would be born. 
That was kind of their job. What's remarkable is the fact that they recognize it as a sign of the king of the Jews, and still they traversed afar to worship this king of the Jews. Why would foreigners, priests who follow another religion, care about the birth of a Jewish king and want to come and worship? Their inner motivations remain hidden from us. But it's possible that some of the earlier generations of Jews who were in exile in Persia passed on their faith to some of the Magi. Perhaps in their encounters with Jewish exiles, some of the Magi gained knowledge, some notion, an inkling of the prophetic promises of the Messiah and became curious, or perhaps they even became converted. In any case, Matthew's emphasis for us, as he did in chapter one, is once again largely theological. You might remember in chapter one, Matthew made the point that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the one promised long ago by the Jewish prophets. But in the genealogy, he also made it clear that Jesus's lineage is not purely Jewish. It contains Canaanite, Hittite, and Moabite blood. Jesus will tell his disciples at the end of the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Well, from the very beginning, in his body, as it were, he contains the whole world. And though he is the king of the Jews, foreigners, magi from the east, come to worship him. They come because he is the true king, the king of kings, the Lord of all peoples. I think in introducing the magi, Matthew may have been thinking about the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60. All nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Perhaps this is a passage that the Magi themselves saw. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. The angels in Luke's gospel will proclaim the good news of great joy for all the people. And it's like God is going out of his way to prove this point by reaching out to the east, to the far east, to bring the Magi. The good news is for all the people, including Gentile astrologer priests of another religion from another country. As some of you might be fond of saying, Jesus is for the people. He is for all the people. Now for the Magi, this was no small and easy trip. It would not be taken on a whim. It's not a spontaneous day trip you might make to visit New York City. The journey from the east, depending on their starting point, would have taken them many months, perhaps covering a thousand miles. It would have required months of preparation and would have involved a caravan of people like hundreds of servants, as well as enormous supplies, in addition to the three gifts that I mentioned. So it should be clear that the image that we have of three lonely men riding a camel just isn't right. In ancient catacombs and ancient writings, they are depicted sometimes as two, four, 12, or even as a large company of magi. It was only a later tradition that settled on three magi to match the three gifts that Matthew lists. 
Later traditions then gave them names and portrayed them symbolically. Casper as a young, clean-shaven man. Balthazar, a bit older with a new beard. And Melchior, an old, gray-haired and long-bearded man. Their gifts also took on symbolic importance. Gold to acknowledge Jesus, the King of Kings. Frankincense to worship the Son of God. And myrrh to foreshadow Jesus' death that will lead to forgiveness and salvation. You may have seen a variation of an old meme that suggests that had it been three wise women instead of three wise men, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would be peace on earth. Perhaps. In any case, the gifts they did bring beyond their symbolic importance, will prove to be extremely valuable and practical as a financial resource when Jesus' family will be forced to become political refugees and seek asylum in Egypt. So we can reimagine this scene. This is not like three guys on a road trip who stop by a gas station to ask someone for directions. The large caravan of foreigners with the Magi and likely a military escort would have created quite a commotion in Jerusalem. In, in my mind, I see a parallel with the images that we have of the migrant caravans from Central America trying to cross the border in Texas and all the anxiety that created for this country. Think about the boldness or the lack of tact the Magi had then in posing the question about the birth of a new king of the Jews. King Herod's title one of his titles was the King of the Jews. It's a slap in the face. It could have led to a disastrous international incident. Herod was also known as Herod the Great. They must have known about his reputation. He was deserving of this title in many ways. He largely kept Palestine in peace for the Romans for more than three decades. He was responsible for rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem as well as many other building projects. During difficult times, such as the famine, he could extend benevolence toward his subjects. But he was known for his ruthlessness. He never thought twice about eliminating any potential rival or any perceived threat to his power, real or imagined. He had no trouble, no qualms about killing his own wife, his mother-in-law, his uncle, and several of his sons. That he would kill the babies of Bethlehem after the Magi visit to prevent a potential rival is no surprise. That's what he does. And so it's understandable that when King Herod is disturbed, all of Jerusalem would share in that anxiety. The people know how vicious Herod can be. But rather than immediately lashing out, Herod decides to play nice. He gathers his own wise man and tells the Magi where the Christ is to be born, and the Magi take that information and head on to Bethlehem. Having done the Magi a favor, Herod expects a return favor that the Magi would inform him of when they discover the Christ child under the pretense that he too wants to worship the king. So with his blessings and directions, the Magi get to Bethlehem. But it seems to me 
that perhaps they did not even need to ask Herod for directions because the star immediately leads them right to Jesus's house. And there with great joy, the Magi offer their gifts, worship Jesus, and having been warned in a dream, they return home by another way. Some of you may be familiar with the poet T.S. Eliot, who wrote multiple masterpieces, like the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, uh, The Wasteland, The Hollow Men, earlier in his career. What you may not know is that in 1927, at the age of 39, he became a Christian, and his poetry took a different turn. And as a Christian, perhaps the very first poem that he wrote was entitled, Journey of the Magi. It's a short poem, and it's written as the recollection of one of the Magi who visited Jesus, and it ends with these lines. All this was a long time ago, I remember. All, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but I thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad. Of another death. The Magus, and I think Eliot too, in thinking about his own conversion, saw in the birth of Jesus death on several levels. It was the death of what he calls the old dispensation, that is, the old ways of living. His former kingdom, the ease and comforts of his former life, his old philosophies, his cultural values have all died in the birth of the king. With the birth of the Christ child, he came to understand that everything has died. It's not easy to accept everything that you've believed for all your life has changed. It is bitter agony. It's so hard, he concludes, that he would be glad of another death. As someone else has said, the birth of Christ means that the death of all my gods and I return home a stranger. He's come home but his own people, his culture, his old way of life is foreign, like an alien people clutching their foreign gods. That's the experience of having met the Christ child. It's the death of all our feeble gods and all of our old ways. An encounter with Jesus Christ challenges everything. It does not make life easier or more comfortable. That is not the point. He puts to death all of our old comforts, whether material, status, education, wealth, whatever else we may cling to. And I wonder, is that what the world looks like to you after an encounter with Jesus? After you worship, after you return home to your neighborhoods, to school, to work, is there a fundamental shift in your perception? Are you no longer at ease here in this world?
as we begin a new year, let me leave you with this question. The first chapter of Matthew was concerned largely with the question of who. Who is Jesus? He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's the son of Mary. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins. Who is Jesus is an important question. But the second chapter of Matthew from our reading this morning asks an equally important question. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? It's the question that the Magi and King Herod ask. Where is he? Now, we could say that he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. But we could also say that Jesus is to be found elsewhere. For example, he's to be found in the scriptures. Martin Luther said the scriptures are like the cradle that holds the Christ child. We can find Jesus in our scriptures. As we heard from 2 Peter during the New Year's Eve service, even in a time of chaos, perhaps especially in a time of chaos, we are called to grow in the grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the world is collapsing around us, we are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the most obvious way that we can do this is through the scriptures. There's no sure way of growing in grace and in knowledge about Jesus than through the scriptures. One small habit that you can develop this year, if you aren't doing it already, is to read the Bible. Tomorrow, in fact, I invite you to begin reading the New Testament, beginning with Matthew chapter 1. Just read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, and you can read through the entire New Testament in one year. It's a simple way of growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To make it even easier, as we have been doing at our church for many years now, we send out one chapter to read at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday. So you can pretend it's just an email that you have to read first thing in the morning. If you're not signed up, you can contact Jason to make sure you get those emails. Again, it's just a small thing that you can do to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus? Jesus is also with us at the communion table to which he invites us to join him. He's in the bread and in the wine in which we participate. Where is Jesus? He's in the waters of baptism. Though he himself was sinless, he unites us to himself in the waters of baptism, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Where is Jesus? He's here now with us. He promised in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Until the end of our days, he promises to be with us. Where is Jesus? He's with you at home, at work, at school, and at church. Jesus said in Matthew 18, for two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Even on Zoom, as we gather in his name, he is here with us. Whenever and wherever we gather in his name, 
in prayer, in fellowship, in service, in witness, he is present. So you know where he is, where he can be found. You don't have to go to Bethlehem with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He is here in our midst. So what you have to decide is what you're going to do. You can choose to ignore his presence like the chief priests and scribes, or you can scheme and pretend to worship like Herod, or you can genuinely worship as the Magi did. And you know, the Magi probably didn't understand what proper worship was. They probably didn't know about the Jewish rituals of washing, the temple traditions, which animals to bring for which sacrifice. They just came and worshiped and they brought the best that they could. And we know that God accepts our imperfect, inadequate efforts at worship. It's okay not to know how to do everything about worship. It's okay to mess up when you're helping out with worship. You've seen me mess up plenty of times over the years. I've even forgotten the words of the benediction, even though I've been saying it for 20 years. And just a few weeks ago, I forgot to offer communion to our elders. Of course, we try to do worship as well and as orderly as we can in a good Presbyterian fashion. But helping out with worship, whether it's just cleaning up or helping with sound, media, the music, whatever it may be, we bring the best that we can. Just come and offer your worship. I'm so thankful for all who have so faithfully volunteered and have given of themselves to our life of worship. And I want to encourage everyone else to participate more fully in worship this year. Let's recommit ourselves to look for Jesus together in this new year. And let's grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord, I realize that to be able to ask the question, where is Jesus, is in itself a gift from you. Just as you initiated the journey of the Magi by giving them enough light to get started, we are thankful for the light that we have received and that you have made known to us the light of life. Would you help us? Would you help us in this coming year to see you in our gatherings, in our work, at school, at home? Help us to offer up to you worship that is pleasing and acceptable. Help us to see the signs of your presence, to see the signs of your leading, whether it's in the waters of baptism or in the bread and in the wine of communion or in the shared joy, sorrow, laughter, and tears as we gather in your name. Be with us this day until the end of our days. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.